Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Becca Bruner. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. He writes, In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we have observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard of this, he was frightened, and all of Jerusalem with him. And calling together all their chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go. And search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Well, it is good to be back with you all together in person this week. I joined you online for Christmas Eve, and of course, we took a little break to just be extra COVID safe the Sunday after Christmas, but I'm so glad to be here with you and just really grateful for the grace that all of you extended to me and to my family as we just, all of us are having to make those choices this time of life, right? And, and just needed to take extra care to ensure that my mom stayed safe as she was here visiting for Christmas. And we were so grateful for that gift to be together. Uh, They have headed back home now. They made it safely. And in fact, my mom is worshiping online with us, so we can all say hi, mom. But that's just unfortunately the way life is going to be these next couple months, isn't it? And and we're going to do everything we can as a church to continue to keep everybody safe, but also to keep everybody connected to Jesus and to one another. And so we're, to the best of our knowledge, Uh, going to continue to gather, as Jonathan said, starting in our new schedule next week. We recognize that there's going to be varying numbers of people who are able or comfortable to be here present in this room, and so we're really grateful for our team or or individual, uh, such as they are, that help make that happen and offer that live stream uh, so that we can connect in all the ways possible. Uh, But I do want to encourage you. We're still the church in all of this. We are Jesus' church. And Jesus said that the gates of hell could not prevail against his church. And so I think that includes COVID. So keep being the church in this season. Come as you can. Join us online as you can. And reach out to each other as much as you can. Send that text or email or even better phone call uh, to be connected to one another. In a church like this, there is no reason that anybody should feel alone over these next couple of months. 
As we jump into these last few days of Christmas, I, I told you guys last week the, the, the story that has led to kind of one of the inside joke phrases of the Bruner family, which is just somebody somewhere along the way shouting out, Christmas is over! That's just something that is said around our house a lot. If you don't know why, you can go back and watch next or last week's sermon. Uh, but we were saying it a lot this last week because um, my husband says I'm a heathen uh, because I did not wait until Epiphany to tear down all the Christmas decorations. They are down. I normally wait till at least January 1st, which still makes me a heathen, I recognize. Uh, but this year was December 30th. I just, I needed to be done. I needed to be clean. I needed to just everything be back in order. It was time. And I know I'm not the only one in this. I know that, that I can see Heather even in the back. I know she did it too. You can confess to me later. If you did, I won't call you a heathen. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just kind of our world now, right? Like the, the radios have gone back to playing the regular music. The malls are all pretty much barren. We've all kind of gone back to our regular routine. But even still, we, having lived through Christmas, having gone through all of it, there's still something that there's, even I've taken down those decorations, there's still something in me that's longing for more, that's longing to connect to the true meaning, the true story, the true person of Christmas. I don't know if you feel that same way. And so today, in that hope of just having one more chance to connect to the wonder of the Christ child, I want to share with you a story. It was written in 1896 by Henry Van Dyke. He is a Presbyterian minister, a Princeton professor, a poet, an author, and a diplomat. I think he's trying to show off a little bit. But he wrote a beautiful story that I'm gonna just share pieces of with you. And, and today, I just wanna give you that gift of being able to experience the presence of Jesus through the gift of imagination. The story he wrote is called The Story of the Other Wise Man. He writes, you've heard the story of the three wise men in the east and how they traveled from afar to offer their gifts at the manger in Bethlehem. But have you ever heard the story of the other wise man who also saw the star at its rising and he set out to follow it, yet he didn't arrive with his brothers in the presence of the young child Jesus. I will tell you his tale. In the days when Caesar Augustus was master of many kings and Herod reigned in Jerusalem, there lived a certain man named Artaban. He was a tall, dark man of about 40 years, and he belonged to the ancient priesthood of the Magi. Artaban studied the evening skies, and one night he saw a new star, which shone for one night and then vanished. His three Magi companions, Caspar, Melchior, and Balthazar, they were watching in the temple of the seven spheres in Babylon. And they made a plan when the star appeared that they would wait for 10 days for him at the temple. And then they were to set out together for Jerusalem to see and to worship the promised one, the king of Israel. Artaban had sold his possessions and bought three precious jewels to carry as tribute to the king. A sapphire blue as a fragment of the night sky a ruby redder than a ray of sunrise, and a pearl as pure as a peak of a snowy mountain. So when Artaban saw the star in the sky, he bowed his head. It is the sign, he said. The king is coming. I will go to meet him. 
Long before dawn, he was in the saddle, riding swiftly westward. At nightfall on the tenth day, he arrived at Babylon. It was three hours' journey yet to the temple of the seven spheres, and he must reach the place by midnight if he would find his comrades waiting. While passing through a palm grove, his horse slowed to a walk and then stopped. Artaban dismounted to find a man lying across the road. He bore the marks of a deadly fever, and the chill of death was in his lean hand. As Artaban turned away, a long, ghostly sigh came from the man's lips, and his hand grasped the hem of Artaban's cloak. Artaban's heart leapt to his throat with resentment at this delay. If he lingered but for an hour, his companions would think he had given up on his journey, and they would go without him. He would lose his quest. But if he went on now, the man would surely die. Should he turn aside, if only for a moment, from following the star to give a cup of cold water to this poor, perishing man? God of truth, he prayed, direct me in your holy path, the way of wisdom which only you know. Then he turned back to the sick man. Hour after hour, he labored as only a skillful healer can do. At last, the man's strength returned. He sat up and looked about him. Who are you, he said, and why have you come to bring me back to life? I am Artaban the Magi, and I am going to Jerusalem in search of one who is born king of the Jews. I dare not delay any longer, for the caravan that has waited may depart without me. The Jew raised his trembling hand solemnly to heaven. May the God of Abraham bless and prosper the journey of the merciful. I have nothing to give you in return, only this. I can tell you that the Messiah is to be born not in Jerusalem, but in Bethlehem of Judea. May the Lord bring you in safety to that place because you have had compassion on the sick. Well, it was already past midnight when Artaban arrived at the meeting place and there was no sign of his friends, only a note which read, we have waited past midnight and can delay no longer. We go to find the king. Follow us across the desert. Artaban sat down upon the ground and covered his head in despair. How can I cross the desert with no food and and a spent horse? I must return to Babylon, sell my sapphire, and buy a train of camels and provisions for the journey. I may never overtake my friends. Only God the merciful knows whether I shall not lose sight of the king because I tarried to show mercy. Through the deserts and mountains and through the heat of day and frigid nights, Artaban traveled steadily on until after many days he arrived in Bethlehem. The other wise man drew near, weary but full of hope, bearing his ruby and his pearl to offer to the king. For now at last, he said, I shall surely find him, for this is the place of which the Hebrew told me that the prophets had spoken, and here I shall behold the rising of the great light. The streets of the village seemed to be deserted. From the open doors of a cottage, he heard a woman's voice. He entered and found a young mother hushing her baby to rest. She told him of the strangers from the east who had appeared in the village three days ago and how they had said a star had guided them to the place where Joseph of Nazareth was lodging with his wife Mary and their newborn child, and how they had laid their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh at his feet. 
but the travelers disappeared again, she said, as suddenly as they had come. We were afraid of the strangeness of their visit. The man of Nazareth took the child and his mother and fled away that same night secretly. It's whispered that they were going to Egypt. Ever since then, there's been a spell upon the village. Something evil hangs over it. The young mother laid her baby in the cradle, and suddenly there came the noise of wild confusion in the streets of the village, a clashing of swords and a desperate cry. The soldiers, the soldiers of Herod, they're killing our children. The young mother's face grew white with terror. She clasped her child and crouched motionless in the darkest corner of the room, covering him with the folds of her robe, lest he wake and cry. Artemon went quickly and stood in the doorway of the house. The soldiers came down the street with bloody hands and dripping swords. The captain of the band approached the threshold to thrust him aside, but Artaban said in a low voice, I am all alone in this place, and I'm waiting to give this jewel to the prudent captain who will leave me in peace. He showed the ruby glistening in the hollow of his hand. The captain was amazed. He stretched out his hand and took the ruby. March on, he said to his men. There's no child here. The house is empty. The clamor passed down the street. Artaban re-entered the cottage. He turned his face to the east and prayed. God of truth, forgive me my sin. I have lied to save the life of a child, and two of my gifts are gone. Shall I ever be worthy to see the face of the king? But the voice of the woman weeping for joy in the shadow behind him said very gently, Because you have saved the life of my little one, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Many years passed in Artaban's life, yet he never stopped searching. He moved among the throngs of populous Egypt, seeking everywhere for traces of the household that had come down from Bethlehem. He learned from a Hebrew rabbi of the sufferings of the promised Messiah, the one despised and rejected, the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Remember, my son, said the rabbi, the king whom you seek is not to be found in a palace or amongst the rich and powerful. I do not know how this shall come to pass. But those who seek him will do well to look among the poor and the lonely, the sorrowful and the oppressed. So the other wise man passed through countries where famine lay heavy on the land. He made his dwelling in plague-stricken cities. He fed the hungry, clothed the naked, healed the sick, and comforted the captive. He found many to help, but none to worship. And as the years went by, it seemed as if he'd forgotten about his quest. Three and thirty years of the life of Artaban had passed away, worn and weary and ready to die, but still looking for the king. He had come for one last time to Jerusalem. It was the season of Passover, and the city was thronged with strangers, but on this day, a tide was sweeping them along the street that leads to the Damascus Gate. He asked the people around him where they were going, and they answered, to the place called Golgotha, outside the city walls, where there's going to be an execution. Have you not heard? 
Two robbers are to be crucified, and with them another called Jesus of Nazareth, a man who has done many wonderful works, but the leaders have said he must die because he says he is the Son of God. And Pilate sent him to the cross because he said he was the King of the Jews. How strangely, these familiar words fell upon the tired heart of Artaban. They had led him for a lifetime, and now they came to him like a message of despair. The king had arisen, but he had been denied and cast out. He was about to perish. Perhaps he was already dying. Could it be the same one born in Bethlehem 33 years ago at whose birth the star had appeared at heaven? Artaban's heart beat unsteadily as he thought to himself. It may be that I shall find the king at last in the hands of his enemies and shall come to offer my pearl as ransom before he dies. Just then a troop of soldiers came down the street dragging a young girl with a torn dress and disheveled hair. Suddenly she broke from the hands of her tormentors and threw herself at his feet. Have pity on me, she cried. My father is dead and I am seized for his debts to be sold as a slave. Save me from a fate that is worse than death. Artaban trembled. It was the old conflict in his soul which had come to him in the palm grove of Bethlehem and in the cottage. This was the third trial, the final and irrevocable choice. He took the pearl from his pocket. Never had it seemed so radiant, so full of light. And he laid it in the hand of the slave girl. This is your ransom, daughter. It is the last of my treasures for which I kept for the king. While he spoke, the darkness of the sky deepened. And tremors ran through the earth. The walls of the houses rocked to and fro. Stones were loosened and crashed into the street. The soldiers fled in terror, reeling like drunken men. But Artaban and this girl, whom he had ransomed, they crouched helpless beneath the wall of the praetorium. What had he to fear? What had he to hope? He had given away the last remnant of his tribute to the king. The quest was over, and it had failed. One more tremor from the earthquake shook the ground. A heavy tile from the roof fell and struck the old man in the temple. He lay breathless and pale, with his gray head resting on the young girl's shoulder and blood trickling from the wound. As she bent over him, fearing that he was dead, there came a voice through the twilight very small and still, like music sounding in a distance. The girl turned to see if someone had spoken from the window above them, but she saw no one. Then the old man's lips began to move as if in an answer, and she heard him say, Not so, my lord. For when did I see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did I see you a stranger and took you in, or naked and clothed you? When did I see you sick or in prison and come to you? Three and thirty years I looked for you, but I have never seen your face nor served you, my king. He ceased, and the sweet voice came again. And again the girl heard it, very faint and far away. 
But now it seemed as though she understood the words. Truly I tell you, inasmuch as you have done it to one of the least of my brothers and sisters, you have done it unto me. A calm radiance and wonder and joy lighted the pale face of Artaban. A long breath of relief exhaled gently from his lips. His journey had ended. His treasures were accepted. The other wise man had found the king. What does that story say to you and me, do you think? Think back on your own journey, your search to find Jesus. Where has that journey led you? To what places? To what people? What surprises? And what struggles? According to Van Dyke, seeking Christ can be quite costly. And not just sapphires and rubies and pearls. It's costly because wherever you go, if you're paying attention, there will be people in need. People who call on your compassion, your time, your energy, and your money. People who need you to listen to their stories. People crying for your help. Maybe your neighbor. It may be somebody in your own family. Like Artaban, we have come to this season to worship the king, the Christ child in the manger. But the real test is whether day by day we can see that same Christ in the people around us. The people who bring their needs to us unexpectedly, who delay us, who interrupt us. How will we respond to those needs? Only those who seek Jesus by serving him will hear him say these wonderful words from Matthew 25. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, for truly I tell you, inasmuch as you have done it for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you have done it unto me. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God.